Hello everybody, welcome back to Lifehouse Church's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Ben Hobson and completing part two, or part four of the four-part series, we had Carol and Thomas today. Can I just say one quick thing before we get going on our interview, before we launch into your sermon? I think that was a cracker sermon. That was really, like most sermons at this place, a good to great. That was one of those... Oh, thank you, Ben. ...wow ones for me. I don't know whether it's just because it was touched me personally, but um, I really loved, and I want to encourage you, your use of story. Thank you. Why did, like, just describe maybe some of the things that you went through as, uh, oh, no, that's too much. <laughs> listen, listen to the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I like that you have personally gone through all this stuff, and like you say, there's a lot of wisdom that we can gain from you guys that we don't actually have to go through ourselves, right? That's right, yep. And you talked about the financial cost. Do you want to just describe that a bit to us? Well, just, you know, as I said in the sermon, the costs are not really separate because all of them will always come to bear. But, yeah, one of the costs can be financial. And I think sometimes people don't realise it. And it's really just the lesson to get out of that is if you can just regard money and everything you have as being God's and, and it's just another tool, then it's just so freeing to get to that place because then you don't worry about compromising because you're worried about, you know, losing your income or whatever. So yeah, that's, sure. that can be the financial cost. I've actually gone through a bit of, you know, I'm still getting used to that idea that my money is not my own to spend. So whenever our church calls for uh, a donation or whatever to a person who might be coming in from out of town to speak at our church, I feel like God, his, God's number is always, I don't know, five times what I personally <laughs> yeah, wanted yeah. to give. Well, he's stretching you as well, isn't he, and stretching yeah. your faith. And, you know, that's the thing as well. If people just realised you don't focus on, oh, I have to give this up because, you know, when you really get it right and, and you've got the right attitude, God just gives you so much way more and blesses you anyway. So it's not really that you're losing, you are gaining. That's so true. Like, we've actually recently found Lena's, you know how good Lena is with being organised, yep. right? She takes that same diligence to our income and our finances. There's been so many times where she's gone, I don't know where this money's come from. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it got into our bank account. And that's so you can't even always, you know, there's some clear, obvious cases where God provides, but often I'll sit and think, I, yeah, I don't know how he did it. I can't tangibly put my finger on it, but he has. Yeah, exactly. And the second point you made, which we'll just cover real quick, was the spiritual cost, which you touched on really quickly. Do you want to just give us a bit of an overview of that one too? Yeah, well, just that, you know, that's something that never, ever leaves you. And and I was just thinking, I don't even know how to describe it. Anyone that goes through it will know what I mean, but it's just this pressure, this weight that is on you, it's there all the time. Um, and, and just learning really to live with that and to manage that. Um, and as I said on the sermon, I didn't have time to go into it adequately, which I'd love to because I think it's so important. But Dave and I are going to do some podcasts on leadership yeah, over the really summer exciting. and we'll really unpack it for you there. I've always thought like, as I've stepped up into leadership, you know, the, the way that I have just a little bit at the moment, but I feel like there's, there's a corkscrew like in my brain or something like each time you take a step up, it's just that little drive in further. Those little buttons that I have, those sensitive areas get pushed that little bit extra harder. Yeah, well, that's it. And, and as I said in the sermon as well, that 
you know, the enemy wants to inflict as much damage as possible. So if he can take out um, a really a godly leader who has influence, then that's his his target because it's going to maximise the damage he can do. Yeah, I mean the sheep will scatter. Yep. Yes, yeah, seriously, it was a cracker sermon. Thank I want to congratulate you on, you know, bringing the word. It's the so Lord, so he's well, just yeah, taught so me all that. But, yeah, thank thanks, you. Thanks, God, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Guys, look out for the podcast that's coming up on leadership. It's going to be done over the holidays. We've got a whole bunch of cool stuff coming up at LifeHouse. So always bookmark www.life-house.net. Bookmark it, check back because there's going to be updates there frequently. And also like us on Facebook because we're, we're really we're loving sowing into the community and hearing back from you guys. So get on our Facebook and comment. Leave some comments for us. And, and can I just add to that, you know, we don't, we give all the glory to the Lord, but you know, when you have these costs, you have the pressure is encouraging it is. to get feedback and so, yeah. For sure. It'd be I mean, great to hear from you. God's, you know, God's put people on earth to encourage. That means that's right. to yep. edify each other, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So get on there and edify us, <laughs> all of you now. Go. Um, but yeah, seriously, thanks so much for listening and enjoy Carolyn's sermon. It's awesome. Stay tuned to Life Thank you. Right, so I've entitled this sermon, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, Over the past month, Anna and I, as you know, have been dealing with the subject of the fine print, the cost of following Jesus. And you can find the three sermons preceding this on our LifeHouse podcast on iTunes if you've missed any of them. And I told you last week that today I was going to look at four costs of leadership but um, I've had to cut it down to two because just, just um, time doesn't permit me to do justice to all four. And so I'm only going to touch on two of them today, financial cost and spiritual cost. And before, but before I get into it, there's just something that I didn't say last week that I was just thinking about I should have said. And that is this, cost is not a negative concept. Yes, it does involve difficulty, it involves hardship, and it requires resilience and perseverance But these build character. And enduring or going through cost builds your character. So it's not a negative concept. Romans 5 verse 3 and 4 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And you know the rest of that um, passage, that hope doesn't disappoint us. And so the costs of following Jesus are beneficial Because without character, you're not going to be successfully able to lead anything. Without character, you won't successfully bear the weight of ministry. And it really all boils down to attitude. Are you a whiner? Oh, it's too hard, no resilience, a little bit of pressure gets applied, you start whining. Or are you an overcomer? Do you have the attitude that this is good for me and I'm going to push through? Because you know what? Only overcomers are going to actually get crowns. Last week, my message was no cross, no crown. And if something costs you, then it will be of more value to you and you will appreciate it more. And we need to have that same attitude when it comes to discipleship, the cost of discipleship and leadership. So shift your attitude if you need to because it's all about your perspective. And I'm going to give you a little example of this. Um, I was texting earlier in this week, I was texting Anna who was on holiday because I needed to set up the dates our next beloved podcast recording, which is next week. I couldn't wait till she came home. And I do try and be very conscious of leaving people when they're on holiday because I understand that rest times are important. But I had no choice. I needed to book in the time. So I was texting her and I started my text by saying, I'm sorry to bother you on your holiday with work. And then I stopped myself and I thought, no. It's an absolute privilege that we are able to do these podcasts. It's an absolute privilege that people around the world are listening to them. 
And we are privileged to have the opportunity where we can exercise our giftings in our ministry. And so I thought I'm not going to, I took that, state, that sentence out, I'm not going to refer to it as work and I'm not going to consider it an imposition. Just as well for Anna that she answered with a smile and a positive thing as well. <laughs> Um, But a few years ago, I had to remind myself of this, not to cynically, signly talk about the burden of leadership. I found that I was doing that sometimes when, you know, things were going wrong or we're going through a difficult time. Because God reminded me it's a privilege and he could remove me from it if I preferred. It's all down to attitude. It's a privilege if you are invited to come up here and preach. It's a privilege to be given opportunities for growth, whether on the church council or whatever. It's a privilege to be given the opportunity to grow into leadership. And it's all about your attitude. You need to have the attitude that I'm going to learn as much as I can from you. And thanks for the opportunity, by the way. Would be nice as well sometimes. Um, And I love this about lots of you. Lots of you do have that opportunity. But, you know, there's three people that spring instantly to my mind. And not to leave anyone out, because as I've said, you know, lots of you have this. But three people that really exhibit this for me are those three there. Ben and Lena and Sam, you know, just take, you know, everything as an opportunity to learn. And I just want to say as well that there may be times when it looks like David is casually inviting you to join in on something, um, whether it be to do a podcast or whether it be um, a situation maybe that involves counseling where he knows there's going to be deliverance. It might look like he's casually, casually asking you if you want to be in part of that. And you know what? You'd be wise to say yes, please, instead of Nah, I don't feel like it. I'm too busy. Believe you me, he has thought about who he'll ask and why, and he always has a very distinct purpose in mind in asking you. So just be careful of saying no too often. You might not always get asked again. But as I've said, if you aspire to leadership, more is expected of you, and an excellent attitude is a great place to start. Now, clearly, all the costs of leadership are interwoven. They don't just come neatly on their own. So last week, I talked about emotional costs. This week, I've said I'm talking about financial and spiritual. They don't, unfortunately, just come neatly like that. So it's just a financial cost. With that comes tremendous emotional and spiritual and physical costs as well. But I'm almost just isolating the one point for the sake of the point that I'm talking about. So there is a financial cost. Matthew 6, verse 24 No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There is financial cost to leadership. Now, hear clearly clearly what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you will necessarily lose everything and be poor, but in some seasons of your life, that that might happen, that might be required. But the point that Scripture is making is it's all about your attitude towards money. It's about your priorities. Which do you put first, God or money? Are you prepared to give it all up or lose it all if that's what's asked of you? Matthew 19, verse 21 to 23. And this was where someone had come to Jesus, the rich young man, and asked him, and this was Jesus' answer to him. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That man, the the scripture says that man went away sad. Have you ever thought how tragic that is? Why did he go away sad? 
He went away sad because he'd heard what Jesus said and he'd counted the cost and decided he wasn't willing to do it, wasn't willing to give it up. I wonder how many years he spent regretting that decision. As a leader, you need to be willing to pay the financial cost of investing in yourself, of investing in the development of your ministry and in extending God's kingdom. And you need to come to a place where you see money as just another tool. It's just another tool, a means to building the kingdom, not something to be held on to, not something just for your pleasure. I'm not saying you can't have any enjoyment and pleasure in life, but if you don't view money as a tool over which you've been given stewardship, then you could, without even realizing it, begin to consider it as yours. I earned this. I worked for this. It's mine to spend as I want. And let's see what the Word says about that in Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms this covenant which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. You're just a steward. Remember the Lord your God. And one of the qualities, as I said, of a leader is that willing to personally pay a financial price. And I'm going to give you some personal examples of what deliberately counting the cost and then picking up that aspect of the cross to follow Jesus has looked like uh, for David and Callan and I. And it impacts your whole family. It changes the direction of your life. All right, the first time that we bore this cost or where we consciously considered counting the cost and bearing it was around 1992. Uh, we were in South Africa, still under the system of apartheid at that time. That only, we only had our first elections where all the races could vote three years later in 1995. So this is 1992. And the denomination that we were in at that stage consisted of four separate streams. They had four separate Bible colleges, four separate head office. So we had whites, coloreds, blacks, and Indians, all right? And in 1992, around 92, um, they decided to look at amalgamating. But what happened was the whites only wanted to keep their white-only head office, so we still kept a white-only head office, and the other three streams merged into a mixed group. And what that meant was each pastor that was in the white-only group had the choice of staying in the white-only group and keeping their local church, or moving their credentials over into the mixed group. And if you did that, you, had to, you could take a church vote, and if you won the church vote, you could move the whole church over into the mixed group, or if you lost the vote, then you had to resign that local church. And so that's the decision we found ourselves facing. We could back down and do what our church council wanted, because we'd had lots of meetings and talk about it, so we knew we had a pretty good idea. Um, they wanted us to leave the church in the white group only and not even take it to a vote. Or we could transfer David's credentials into the mixed group and insist on a vote, knowing that we could lose that. And if we did, that meant losing the church, along with all the income, the home, etc. And at that stage, I just want to paint a picture of what it was like for us. They, we, were, we had moved interstate, so we were over 1,000 kilometers from home. The church had paid for our furniture to go down. Uh, David... Um, we had a house, sorry, he earned a salary, obviously, but um, we had a house that the church owned that we lived in. The church paid our car and a petrol allowance. They paid our electricity. They paid our phone bill. We had a tea and coffee allowance. David even had a monthly book allowance as well where he could go and purchase books and resources for himself for his own personal development. Any conferences and things he wanted to go to, the church paid. 
And of course, on top of that, we had a salary. I was just trying to think, probably a Christmas bonus as well. Yep. Okay. So that's where we were. And let me tell you that there's no welfare system then in South Africa like you have here. If you lost your income, you lost your income. No Centrelec, no benefits, no central Medicare or anything like that, okay? And add to that decision, as I said, we were interstate away from all our family and support system, and we had a two-year-old as well that we were responsible for. Now, this is where your commitment to your calling and, of course, your faith, your trust in God gets tested. Are you prepared to lose it all and stay true to the vision and calling he's placed in you? Are you prepared to stand by the word of God even if it costs you everything? Especially when there's no backup plan, there's no plan B in the natural, that is. So, you know, we actually sat down at that stage, we discussed the cost, knowing we were pretty much um, knowing that there was a very strong possibility that we'd lose the the vote, because, you know, that's when all the worms come out the woodwork, people that don't contribute, barely come to church, but suddenly want to come and vote, okay? So we knew there was a strong possibility that we'd lose the vote. But we sat down and we said, what's the worst that can happen? What's the absolute worst that can happen to us? We lose the vote, which means, okay, we lose the income, we lose the home. But you know what? It's just finances. Are we prepared to pay that price? We actually considered the cost and talked about it. And we said, yeah, let's just go for it. And we did. So that was the juncture we came to 22 years ago, where we came to the realization and acceptance that money was merely one of the tools for building God's kingdom. And he was our source anyway. And you know what? We felt like we'd be selling our souls to the devil if we compromised on what we believed and on our integrity in order to steer away what would look like financial suicide. And you know what? We still feel like that and operate like that today. It did end up with us losing the vote by two. And so having decided we couldn't stay pastoring a church that was for whites only, we transferred David's credentials over to the mixed group which meant then that he had to resign that local church. And, you know, we continue to pay the cost as a result of that decision over the next few years. It's not often just a one, one-off cost. There are implications for your life. We had to get ourselves back home. We had to stay with David's folks for nearly a year while we were both unemployed looking for work. You know, things that the second time um, we paid a financial cost, things that Callan had started piano lessons and stuff and really showed talent, but we couldn't afford to do things like that. So there is a cost for everybody, and it does continue often more than just that one, you know, that one-off thing. But you know what? Once we processed that emotional hurt, we didn't get bitter and sit and bemoan the cost. In fact, I hadn't even really separated it as a separate thing until I was typing this up. Because it wasn't about the cost in our hearts and minds. That never became our focus. Our focus was on our integrity and on staying true to God and his word. So fast forward two years or so, and we're in the next church. Now, I'm sorry if I'm going to disillusion anyone here or shatter any dreams, or not dreams, but shatter anything. But you might not realize this. In some churches, they try to control their leaders through money. Okay? It's this attitude of the pastor being a hired employee. You keep him humble and we'll keep him poor, Lord. That's the mindset. And the minute you start touching on things they're not comfortable with or trying to lead them into discipleship or you don't behave according to what they want, then the pressure starts. 
And no one ever comes out and says, sorry, pastor, I'm not prepared to go where the Spirit is leading. I'm comfortable and not prepared to change. Most, many just stop paying their tithes because that's a way of applying pressure to force you to comply or resign. We'll teach you. You know, but maybe we're just thick or too hard-headed or something because eventually they leave, we don't. Um, but it's because we've made that decision before that, you know, money's a tool and we're going to stand. And so because they leave and we don't, for a while the finances dip again. And that happened at the second church, and I'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. But at the beginning of our ministry, you've got to remember in the 80s, we didn't know that we had apostolic prophetic callings. God was just beginning to restore that to church. It was there, he'd put it in, but we didn't know it at that time. And we just seemed to keep going to difficult churches with the purpose of bringing alignment and correction like Paul did, but it brought chaos. And of course, now that we know who we are and the ministries we carry, we realize that that was cost in training us for the future. To be creating a discipleship environment, you often will have to lose half your church to do that. And we weren't able to do it then, but it was our training for being able to do it now. It was building up our strength and resilience to stand no matter what. And, you know, another motherly tip. Lena said she likes when I give motherly tips, so yeah, Lena. But what you have here at LifeHouse now is normal for most of you. Okay? It is now normal. It's become our normal. Please don't ever take it for granted. Because to be able to have this discipleship environment has cost David and I and some of you dearly. Okay? We've paid in blood, sweat, and tears over the past 27 years to gain the experience that we have to be able to bring LifeHouse to this place of being a discipleship environment. And you know what? It might look easy, it might look casual, but that's down to who David is as a leader. It's not. It takes a lot more skill than you would possibly realize. And you can take our experience and benefit from it. Proverbs 5, 1 says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, godly wisdom learned by actual and costly experience, and incline your ear to my understanding of what is becoming and prudent for you. And Bobby Houston puts this point that I'm trying to make very well. I'm just going to read a quote. We are surrounded by thousands of great books written by great men and women of God. Their lives are often painstakingly and lovingly painted across the pages. And we may read a paragraph and think, great point, I'll take note of that. The sobering reality is that the writer may have had to go to hell and back to come to that conclusion. They've learned it by actual and costly experience, and it ends up being one paragraph in a book. The readers are the blessed ones. If they take the truth offered and apply, it may save them a trip to hell and back. And I couldn't understand why we had to go through such turmoil, turmoil at each church to hell and back, basically, just to move on after we'd done all the hard yards. Of course, I understand now that's why you have all your energy as well in your early 20s and 30s, so I'm sorry it's not just for child-rearing. But um, to cut a long story short, that second church was where we had 40 years compressed into five or six years of live fire training to learn what we know about spiritual warfare. It was great in the first church, 1989, where we got the wonderful prophecies and in David's it says, my son, I'm putting a teaching, a deep teaching on spiritual warfare on your heart for future times. That was like, woohoo. Didn't realize what we'd have to go through to learn that, but you know, we're on the other side. You know, and when we went up to that church for our interview weekend, I told David we should run then. Didn't I, David? We didn't. He didn't listen to me. Let me just explain that. We go up, 
It's this little rural town, um, two streets probably, and it's about a population of about 5,000 white people and then surrounded by Lesotho Mountains and thousands of um, black people. But um, we went up and we had, on the Friday night, they'd arranged for us to go around to this group. We didn't know, you know, just assumed it was a church. And so we had this barbecue or something with about 30 people just grilling us. We like sat in chairs and they just fired questions and, and grilled us. And, you know, when we came back from that and went back to the person's house, I said to David, oh, like, just didn't feel good. It was like we should just go. Turns out that wasn't even the church. That was the split that had already left and formed their own church. And they were grilling us. And then the next night, we went to the other half, which was going to be the church. And the same thing happened, but I think a lot less hostile. Um, but, you know, I can say now we should have run, but obviously we wouldn't have had the training we have. But the issue at this church was the patriarchal father who had 10 married children. And between them and their spouses and their grandchildren, they pretty much owned three quarters of that town. And he was the chief Pharisee. Oops. I mean, the chief elder of the church. Okay. <laughs> I did do it on purpose, I'll admit. The family had split right down the middle, and half of them had left the church before we came. That was the first half I was talking about. And his agenda was to get them all to come back, even though they formed a new church and they were not interested in coming. Major control issues there, and that was our warfare training for over five years. We went to hell and back as that father and half of the church that was his family tried to force a reconciliation that no one wanted and just trying to pressurize David to do things. That was actually the time when we got that phone call that said, you've got a young family, we will run you out of this town. Um, but we wouldn't buckle to their demands, and so the tithes stopped. David at one stage didn't draw a salary for over a year. And you know, all I think I can remember about that and how I noticed it was we probably ate a little bit less meat, didn't we? Because part of the salary package was that one of the many shops that the family owned was a butcher, and so we'd get weekly meat. But other than that, I honestly don't remember um, going without because God blessed us. I don't know what he did, but we didn't go without. And I can honestly say that the decision over the two times and throughout our ministry to bear the cost financially, no matter what, has proven to be arguably the most liberating decision we've ever made because it's meant we've become free from them, the Pharisees or controllers, trying to control us through money. And one of the reasons we were able to, to endure was that we'd firmly established this in our hearts before at the first church, and so we were able to go through all the training, all the warfare teaching without fear or compromise, without shrinking back even when they applied that financial pressure. Because really, what's the worst they can do? It's really that. They're not going to kill you, okay? They might, but other than that, that's the worst they can do. And because you see, the problem is God doesn't put you in a simulator with rubber, bu rubber bullets to learn stuff. It's live fire. And it was hard, but when you let go of that fear of losing everything, then there's nothing to control you. You take away the power, their power to instill any fear which would lead you to compromise. And that's so liberating. Drives them wild because they can't control you, and so that's where the, all the accusation, you're so arrogant or whatever, but it doesn't matter, it's their problem, right? But we've been able to remain true to the vision that God has given us, free to learn what he wanted to teach us, especially about spiritual warfare and discipleship. Money is just a tool. You either please God or man, it's, that really, it's really that simple. If you're trying to please man, it's always gonna lead you to compromise, okay? So although we've paid 
costs over the years, and we still are, I can honestly say it's been worth it. God is faithful. We have seen him provide every single time. You know what? I'd rather have a life like that, as hard as it is at times, and see how mighty God is and how he works than just lead a mediocre life where I don't ever have to step out, really, and I don't see anything amazing. You know, we've had a life better than we could have imagined. We've lived on three continents, immigrating twice to get here, and that's another story in itself that obviously involved costs. But we've got people that we know and love, and we'll see again one day in heaven on all three continents. We've been able to show Callan more of the world and give him experiences and educational and growth opportunities that we wouldn't have thought possible. And you know, there have been costs for him in this as well. Obviously, you know, having to move and, and not being around family and grandparents and stuff like that, and costs when we've had to work longer hours and stuff. But you know what? He's got character resilience, a strong work ethic and, ethic and integrity as a result of that. And so that's all training too for the weight that his call carries. And for us, and I realize now it's due to the apostolic calling that I couldn't imagine actually just settling for 20 or 30 years in one place in one church. And I'm not knocking that, because some people that is for them, but it's not who God made us to be. And I'm just trying to show you, if we'd buckled under that financial pressure 22 years ago, that's probably where we would be now, still just sitting in one place, bored out of our skulls. In fact, this is the longest we've been in one place. And although I did feel restless a few years ago, I do know... (laughs) that our training and development has been for such a time as this. So I'm not planning on going anywhere. For what we are, as LifeHouse are called to be and do. And it still involves financial cost, and I'm not complaining. If anything, I feel blessed that we can use what God provides to extend his church. It's our offering back to him. God has promised that I will one day be released from work, but for now this season is part of our cost. To be able to keep the house, which is the hub of life house, it's where David's office is, we have lots of meetings and things there, I need to work full time to do that. So that's a cost for me personally, because I'm chump, you know, chomping at the bit now to actually be released for full time ministry, but that's all right, God will do it in his time. And as I said, cost comes with reward. I wouldn't swap the richness of relationship that we have with you all. Having you in and out of our house, some of you every single day, we feel blessed most days. But I'm just showing you that throughout your ministry, you will have different seasons of financial cost. And we're still experiencing financial cost, but that's been our choice to count that cost, to pick up that aspect of our cross and to follow. And we're determined to stay true to the vision that God has given us and laugh us as that. And you know, we've often joked about, even if it came down to two of us in our lounge room, this is that we're still going to pay that cost. And I know it won't come to that. But putting yourself in a position to be stretched and grown costs money. And as a leader, as I said earlier, you need to be willing to pay that price financially of investing in yourself, in the development of your ministry, and in the extension of God's kingdom. It's not just your money for you, okay? Often it's for other things as well. And not all the costs are huge. But books cost money. Conferences cost money. Going to LifeHouse on LifeHouse mission teams cost money. But remember, we don't measure success as the world does in terms of money. And just let this statement I'm going to make now really sink into you. God is more interested in your spiritual status than your financial status. All right, You could be rich in money but have a famine in your spiritual life. Where are you investing? All right, Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 12, 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And financial life and ministry is exactly like that. Sometimes you have plenty, other times not, but God always looks after you. And as I said, huge emotional costs that I'm not even conveying with this, okay? Um, that go with it. But if you can get to the point where you accept that everything is his, then you will be content and grateful. Right, so I've looked at emotional costs last week, financial costs, and so now I'm going to look at spiritual costs. And unfortunately, I'd love to spend more time on this, but I'm just going to be touching it very lightly. But here's the good news. David and I have decided we're going to do work on some leadership podcasts over the summer holidays, and we'll really unpack this a lot more. I thought it'd be good news. You should all be saying, yay. Thank you. All right, there is spiritual cost. The more influential you become as a leader, the greater the intensity of spiritual attack on your life. I'm going to say that again. The more influential you become as a leader, the greater the intensity of spiritual attack on your life. You see, the more influence you have, the greater the damage the enemy can do if he's able to get you to sin and fall because it will damage the people that you lead as well. And this is what the word says about Jesus and what he told his disciples. In Mark 14, verse 27, he said, you will, all, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. As a leader, you will experience spiritual warfare. As a leader, you will encounter temptation on a level that is greater than anything you could imagine. As a leader, you have to be willing to fight the fight and pay, pay the price if you want to be a godly leader. And you know what, people, you need to pray for your leaders because they are primary targets of the enemy. The enemy doesn't pursue everyone with the same intensity. He wants to inflict the maximum damage possible, and so he'll target godly leaders who are intent on fulfilling the vision God has given them. And Bobby Houston explains this very well in um, her book, I'll Have What She's Having You, and I want to read this to you. Listen really carefully titled Heads and Hearts. Every church has a spiritual head. If you understand God's delegated authority and how the body of Christ works, you will understand that the spiritual head of each church is the senior pastor and his partner. They are appointed by God to be shepherds over your soul. Distract, disillusion, demoralize, or destroy the shepherd, and it's very likely the sheep will scatter. If sheep didn't need shepherds, God would have structured it differently. But sheep need a leader, and so do we. Every church also has a heart. The heart or soul of a church is that company of people who make up the core. It is the leadership team along with the committed diehards, those amazing people who carry the vision with the leadership. When the head, the senior pastors, or the heart, the leadership core, is negatively affected, then the whole church will be affected as well, even destroyed in some cases. So be wise here because Satan is no fool and the pages of history are littered with churches that have become casualties because of this. To present it another way, now remember we are body. If someone walked in right now and tried to kill you, he would be most effective if he aimed and shot you straight in the head or the heart. However, if he only got you in the kneecap, you'd still be able to get around, albeit with a limp. If he blew your right hand off, you'd still live and you would learn to write with your left hand. However, take the head or the heart out and we have a major problem, death. So 
So the enemy always tries to get in and divide the leadership, and we've experienced this. Our strength and protection as a leadership thus far has been our transparency and unity in dealing with people, standing on God's word and acting as one. But that unity will always be attacked, and especially in the months ahead as we step into God's vision for this region. We will be dealing with a particular spirit that's over this region, which primarily aims at its attack at dividing the leadership. We need your prayer cover, as the spiritual pressure that accompanies this is fierce. And you know, as leaders, you have a personal responsibility to become strong in the Lord. You know, we quote the scripture about putting on the full armor of God, but if you look at the words preceding, talking about putting on the armor, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his power, or something like that, or his mighty power. So it's not enough just putting the armor on. You have to be strong yourself in the Lord. You have to have fortitude and resilience based on being able to stand on his word without compromising. And now, you know, I've barely touched on this point of spiritual pressure. I could easily do a whole sermon because it's really important. But as I said, I don't have time to do more. But um, some of the things that we'll unpack later when we do in a podcast is personal spiritual pressure as well. Good and bad pressure that accompanies your particular giftings. And as well as the pressure that God begins to train you in to work as a team with your spouse. And let me just say, just when you think you've been trained for 15 to 20 years and think, well, I've arrived... You actually discover that was mostly individual training. Now he's got to meld you and train you together with your spouse to work as a team and then, you know, with other people as well on a team. And that's the stage that I think David and I have been at for the past three or four years. And for us, it's been like, if you can imagine, my gifting is I've got um, prophetic with diagnostic knowledge of what's wrong in people's lives, okay, where he has the apostolic with the, seeing the potential in them. So you can imagine it's like throwing cold water onto a hot oil fire. And, you know, that's what we have to work through. And God's teaching us, and we are working, that there's nothing wrong, obviously, with either of the giftings, but it's to learn to sync it together and how to work it in. So you've got that to look forward to maybe in 10 or 15 years, maybe sooner because of our experience. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, but as I said, we'll do a series of podcasts on that, and we'll unpack that later. But just in conclusion, I want to say that all the costs together form a personal cost. The cumulative effect of leadership is that it will never cease to affect you. It's not like anything else, any other job. It's not a job, okay, where you can come home and leave it. It permeates every part of your life. It's there all the time, the pressure. Galatians 6, 9 encourages us. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Personally, I think after 27 years of training that we are on the cusp of that. Well, I hope so, okay? On the verge of that harvest with all of you to help. And for many of you, it's going to be a time of training as well. And I just want to encourage you that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep doing what he's called us to do, no matter what it looks like, knowing that he has equipped us, he will strengthen and empower us for whatever cost you might be called to bear. Remember, it costs Jesus everything. I'd just like to read you a quote um, from Derek Prince. Oh, sorry, before I do that, just another important point. I want to point out that if you sit and decide, because Jesus tells you to count the cost, to actually make an intelligent, informed decision about whether you're going to do this. But if you decide that the cost was too much or too hard and you weren't prepared to pay it, I have to tell you that you're going to pay an even greater cost for that decision. All right? You're going to pay a cost of a life of compromise 
and been outside of God's perfect will for your life and sadly no overcomer's crown at the end. It does cost to stand on God's word. It does cost to be less concerned with pleasing people, not offending them than with pleasing God. So either way, you're going to pay a cost. You may as well pay the right one and learn from it. Listen to this encouraging quote from Derek Prince. God will not permit us to be tested beyond what we can bear. doesn't matter what it feels like. Okay, often it feels like that, that you can't bear it. He will not expect of us what he required of Jesus, perhaps not even what he required of Job. Every test or corrective chastening we go through is designed to mold our character until we have become in Christ all that God created us to be. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation or testing, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. And I'm just going to read you a last scripture that I want, to just, I want you to burn it into your spirit, memorize it if you have to, and when, you, you know, when it feels like too much, just let this spur you on. 2 Corinthians 4.7-12. And the treasure here is talking about the gospel, okay, that living gospel that we have, and the jars of clay are us. We have, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are, are alive and are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Blood, sweat, and tears. But you know what? When we see him face to face, what joy. Thank you.